Hello, my friends. It's lovely to be spending time with you this week. Something is changing here in my woods. The snow is a little softer, and it is everywhere now. The trees are much, much greener, and I feel as though there are more of them somehow. The stars are even brighter than usual. How wonderful. Maybe it is simply because I get to talk to you again this week, and I feel very happy about that. Grateful. Excited. It's nice to be speaking with you this week. It is a powerful time, too. Can you feel that? The moon has been growing, and for whatever reason, that made me ask myself what I want. But then I thought, I've been too worried about that too worried about what I want. And if the answer isn't obvious, then perhaps I am satisfied. And in satisfaction, I'm not certain that there's growth. I'm not sure. Not that we must always be growing. We can stop and rest, of course, and that is indeed what winter is about. But I find rest difficult which made me beg the question, what does the moon want? As she's growing, what does she want of me? What does she want me to learn? I asked the question of my tarot cards as I shuffled them. I asked the growing moon over and over, what must I learn? What must I learn? What must I learn? and I drew the Eight of Cups, reversed. Huh. It is interesting. First, you must understand what it is like upright. The upright Eight of Cups tells us to walk away from something that is not serving us, or is even harming us. It instructs us to withdraw. And that sounds negative, but it is not always so. Reversed. Now let's talk about it when it is reversed. Reversed is not understanding when to run away. Reversed, the Eight of Cups indicates remaining in a hopeless situation. Perhaps out of fear. Perhaps out of indecision. Perhaps out of hope, even. But the card warns of hopelessness in such a situation. Aimlessness. Both upright and reversed, it is easy to perhaps view this as a negative card. But I would not. I think that this card teaches us in both directions that escape can be a powerful tool. One, however, that requires boldness, courage, and good timing, maybe. So... Does this mean that the moon wants me to understand when to walk away? When to walk away from what? Or perhaps it is telling me to find strength in my own decisions. To make a decision and make it proudly. I don't even know what the decision would be about. Maybe that's my problem. In a past life, there was so much conflict all around me because I flourished in chaos. 
Now I think I have become obsessed with peace and quiet. And so I make no decisions. I stay here in my woods, and I think, and I meditate, and I rest, and I take action when I wish to. But it is without goal right now. It is aimless. Just like the reversed Eight of Cups. Perhaps I need to come into my own here. I am the old soul that haunts these woods, after all. Let me think on it. Let me decide what decision must be decided upon. <laughs> Later. For now, let's have a story. A story for the upside down, hopelessly stuck, frozen in place, eight of cups. There was once a different forest. It was an old place its air thick with scents and spores and fog and all kinds of things a dense and ancient forest might find its air thick with. Its trees were the tallest and the strongest in all of the land, and in that forest a woman danced. Even in the snow she danced, and she was not cold, despite the fact that she wore only leaves and moss and the skin of the wolf who used to be her nanny. For here she was born, and here she was raised by wolf and tree and grass and river. Her feet bare, the snow did not seem to hurt them, as she spun and sang and leapt, her heart full of joy at seeing the sight of the sun streaming through the trees in little thin rays of light, bouncing off the very white snow. And it is like this that a great and powerful king stumbled upon her. He had been out hunting and dared to enter the thickest part of the forest. The outskirts he had hunted clean, and no more deer or foxes or wolves or geese remained. So he dared to enter even deeper on this day. He was rewarded with the sight of a young woman dancing in the snow. Of course he found her beautiful. She was wild and innocent. Those things are rare, and they necessitate the ability to be untouched, but in different ways. Wildness is untouched by custom, by systems. We all hate systems, but only the wild can avoid them entirely, through a conniving sort of defiant nature. Wildness can be found and refound at any time. Innocence, however, is far more complex. Innocence is untouched by corruptness, by selfishness, by pride. 
unlike wildness. Innocence is fleeting and ephemeral for everyone. Of course he found her beautiful. All things rare are beautiful. All things that cannot last for long are beautiful. But oh, if you pluck a flower from its bed, what happens, my friends, to that flower? He swept her up in his arms and onto his tired horse. She growled and hissed and snarled. But she did not use his words, and so he felt as though he were saving her from the bitter cold and the treacherous woods. Even as she screamed and scratched and wept and howled, and even as the wolves howled back and the trees groaned and the birds cried, the king did not care. Actually, I don't think the king heard or saw. He didn't really think beyond the belief that he knew what was best. Home she went with him, to the stone castle beyond those wild woods. Home she went, where busy and needling attendants washed the dirt and leaves from her hair, burned her beloved leaves and moss and wolf skin, made her feet soft and useless with soaps and lotions, and her hands dainty and weak with rings and gloves. They caught her up in stiff cages that tightened around her waist and squeezed the air out of her lungs. They pulled and twisted her hair painfully and stuck little metal pins in it to lock it where it was. They smothered her face with powder and creams. All the while she, growling under her breath and yelping at them with snapping jaws, began to grow tired of struggling. She didn't speak their language, but, after years, she began to learn. The king thought he was being generous and humane, believe me. He thought he had saved her from the terrible wild. He was gentle with her, certainly. At first he spent hours with her by the fire, teaching her first to speak, then to read, then to write. He patiently bore her frustration and pain. At first she wouldn't stop snarling or crying, but soon enough she learned it did her no good. Occasionally her nature got the better of her, and she would smash an ink pot or snap a writing quill in half. But mainly she understood that she was not leaving this place. There were too many guards, too many locks, too many stones trapping her inside here. I will tell this quickly, for we must soon get back to the forest, and also it makes me sad, and so I will tell this quickly. The king thought he loved her, and so he married her the moment she understood what his proposal meant. She said at first only the phrase, Father will rage. The king laughed and took it upon himself to pinch her chin between his fingers, though she recoiled at the touch. He asked again in another week, and again she said, 
father will rage. And he laughed a little less. But when a week later, he asked a final time, and she repeated, Father will rage. And he did not laugh. She knew that she could not say no. She knew suddenly that it was a proposal in name only, for though he asked the question of her, she understood now that she could not say no. And so, without a smile, she said yes, and they were wed. And eventually he grew bored once more, and he soon took to hunting again, to fighting, to war, to conquest, to seek. Now we will return to her. A cold woman she grew to be, a cold and intelligent woman who learned how to stand tall in the wired cage around her ribs and those strange, painful things on her feet. She forgot the language of the trees. She forgot the song of the birds. She forgot the cry of the heart. She did what she needed to do to live in. To live in. In where? To live in not forest. Though every night forest beckoned in the only ways it knows how to. For she had a great window, a great wide window to the world. It was barred, of course, but through those bars she could see those thick, tall trees that grew farther and farther away the more hungry the king's hunt was. But she listened to the forest. Every night, the wolves still howled. The stars still shot across the sky. The trees still groaned. And at night, she swore she could hear its song growing closer and closer. A song she barely remembered. She used to sing it at first, but they told her not to. Years and years spent with only stone and hardened mortar as company. Only gold around her throat and fingers and wrists as comfort. It sparkled, sure, but it did not sing. When the king grew so hungry for what lay hidden in the forest, when the forest was the only thing that stood between him and more land, more power, more whatever, he burned it down. The whole thing. Animals ran screaming. The queen in her chamber screamed only on the inside, though, for she knew better now. But the forest burned down. It was too late. Sometimes that happens to forests. What then? A little part of her that almost forgot how to mourned. A little anger that had been left behind in her was ignited once more. A little voice whispered in the back of the queen's mind, not in any language that she could share, but in a language she understood. Father will rage. And she found herself terrified 
but still smiling. Indeed, my friends, father had an idea. Father had the answer. The queen did not leave her chambers for some time, for weeks. Food was brought to her and her attendants went in and out, but she would not leave. Even as she heard the concerned cries in the halls and the frightened shouts in the streets below, she pretended she didn't know why, and she even managed to convince herself of that as she taught herself more languages, as she taught herself how to sew, how to knit, as she taught herself to hum so loudly that those cries were only a distant hum, too. But in the back of her mind, she knew what father's rage looked like. He summons the trees, even where the trees should not be. He calls the wolves to the streets. He makes the air thick with fog and mist and spores. That was how he found her, after all, as a baby and taken pity on her. Some street, in some town, that he had turned his righteous fury on long ago. And now it was going on again outside of her window. The fog crept in a little at a time. The wolves howled right outside the castle. They were running through the castle halls. The screams of her guards made her sure of that. The mist began to seep in from every crack, and it made the stone, the metal, everything her door was made of wet. The spores made the locks rust. Powerful vines climbed up through her window, under her door, prying at the locks from both sides. The wolves in the hall came to her door, tails wagging, waiting outside of it, long claws scratching and scratching at the door and at those confounded locks. She heard them creaking and cracking, and then the loud sound of a metal deadbolt falling against the ground. Slowly she walked to the door. Her shoes were so painful. Her bracelets were so heavy that she was afraid for a moment. What if the wolves did not recognize her, and they attacked, and she would be unable to run or defend herself? She inhaled deeply. She kicked off her shoes. So be it. She let the bracelet slide from her wrists to the ground. So be it. She pressed her palms to the door, almost too afraid to push it. So be it. She pushed the door open. It fell right to the ground. Indeed, it was total anarchy. Guards hopelessly flailed their swords at encroaching tree branches. Scullery maids tossed raw meat to wolves to distract them as they ran away. Noble guests of the king filled their pockets with as many of their treasures as they could, as they ran and ran towards any open door. And the girl from the woods walked, slowly, her head bowed a little like a child preparing to be scolded. 
but still held high. He will be angry with me, she thought to herself, no longer thinking to herself with their language, but in the language of the wolves and the trees again. But not nearly as angry as he is with them, she said, that tiny, hopeful smile returning to her mouth. She made it to the front gate. It was being barricaded by a dozen weary men. As they saw her approach, they begged her to stay away to return to her rooms, but she didn't reply. She just stood and watched, as whatever was on the other side of the huge wooden door banged and banged and banged to be let in. With each bang, the dozen men shook or fell to the ground. Whatever it was on the other side, it was immense. Just then she heard her husband call to her. What on earth are you doing here? It's not safe. Go back to your rooms, he ordered. She didn't even look at him. Let him in, she said. The king's eyes were wide with confusion, terror, and a rage of his own. Let who in? he said, grabbing her shoulders and shaking her. She turned to look at him now. This man, this strange man. This man who would never have what he wanted, ever. For he didn't know what he wanted. Only that he wanted. She pitied him. Why did you burn the forest down? She asked. The sad king roared. I had to. I had to build the mills and the granaries. I had to burn the wood and hunt the beasts. I had to because... Looking in her eyes, he saw for the first time her looking back at him. Really looking back at him. He hadn't really thought to even look before. And he realized that he began speaking in her language and no longer with his small words. He cried tears because he had only the lust for victory and expansion and nothing else, and those two things are so very fleeting, and they are fickle lovers, and so he cried tears for that. His eyes burned because he remembered playing in the forest as a child and how he loved climbing trees, and even when you fell, the ground was so soft that it didn't hurt, and so his eyes burned. His breath slowed down because he realized that his whole life had been spent fighting things he once knew to be the only real good in the world, and so his breath calmed down, because revelation is breathtaking. And as he saw her looking back at him, he remembered why he had fallen in love with her in the first place. He sang to her of that love in her language now, and she finally saw it. She did not forgive him, though. And neither would her father, the king realized, as he heard the pounding against the door growing stronger. So be it. Move aside, 
he said gently to the men who could no longer keep the thing at the door at bay. They did. And with one huge crash, the door was slammed to the ground, chains and hinges flying off entirely. There was no one there. Only... The cobblestone streets had cracked open by rapidly growing trees coming out of the ground. Trees that were somehow everywhere. They had grown within minutes. Trees everywhere. So dense that none of the townspeople could see each other. No one could find any buildings. There were no more paths and streets and signs and shops. And... It had all been completely overtaken by the true king, by Father Evergreen. The fog and the mist and the spores made the air gray and green, and the snow falling made it even harder to see the wolves and the rabbits and foxes running through this city. This kingdom which was now the new thickest part of the forest. It swallowed everyone up whole, and now they were living in the belly of the beast. Realizing this, our queen smiled broadly, a wide, childlike smile, full of wildness and innocence. She grabbed the king's hand and ran into the new forest. Before he knew it, he turned around and realized he could no longer see the castle. He thought he heard the crash and rumble of stone toppling to the ground. But it seemed very, very far away now, suddenly. And he wasn't worried about it. She let go of his hand and kept running. He lost her. He lost the castle. He was lost. Utterly, utterly lost. With the wolves gaining on him, and the air so thick now he almost couldn't breathe. He imagined that if he lay on the ground and closed his eyes, he might be able to wake up. Wake up to a world where he never burned down a single tree or harmed a single beast and never had stolen a child of the woods from her father. From Father Evergreen, he who makes the trees grow among stone, he who can fight back by swallowing up entire cities, he who plays tricks on travelers lost within his belly. He is not Mother Nature, no, but he is perhaps her sharp teeth the curse she lays on those who wound her one too many times. The king saw Father Evergreen's true face, and he now spoke only the language of the trees. How beautiful it was. His heart ached for his wasted years, and he frantically tore off his shoes and his crown, and dug his bare feet into the snow. He began to sway, 
the falling snowflakes pricking against his bare skin. He brought his hands up to the sky. He smiled, and he began to dance, his smile wild and innocent now. And if another king or queen, jaded from years of wanting and fighting, stumbled upon him and fell in love with his wild and innocent beauty and tried to convince him to come back to their castle with them, he would be sure to remember only three words from the language of men. Father. Will. Rage. The Eight of Cups reversed means we are afraid to change, to make a decision. Even when we are hungry and cold and miserable and lost and confused, even through all of this, we often will not walk away from what we know is poisoning us. But the innocent and wild king and queen I told you of tonight did it together. And if they can, then anything is possible. I think that sometimes we cannot see the forest for the trees, but sometimes we need to realize that the forest is the trees. And if that's your goal, then you're already there. That's what I told the man I saw in the woods today. Dancing. I told him that he didn't need to be afraid. But that just made him dance faster. A lovely ghost, and a lovely ghost to spend the holidays with. Though I suspect there are more here. Who do you see? Good night, my friends. Sweet dreams, and happy holidays. friends, welcome to episode 125 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zazov speaking. I'm your writer, host, performer, composer, producer, etc. behind the podcast. Happy holidays, my dears. How is yours going? I'm staying home and having a very quiet Christmas myself, and finding lots of ways to look forward to that in its own odd way. Anyway, I'm so glad to be spending some of my holiday with you tonight, too. Before we go on, I'm going to take a quick moment here to chat with you about NordVPN. What's a VPN? Good question. A VPN is a virtual private network, which NordVPN describes on their site as a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. And guess what? Right now, you can get 68% off NordVPN. It's only $3.71 a month, plus an additional four months free at nordvpn.com goodnight. Or you can just go to checkout and use the coupon code GOODNIGHT in the description box. Again, that's nordvpn.com slash goodnight, or offer code GOODNIGHT. Thanks so much, friends. Now on to some thank yous. I'd like to thank a couple of listeners who sent me a donation through coffee.com along with really lovely messages. Big thanks to listener Tom Said Like Tom Harrison, and big thanks as well to Rennie. 
I really appreciate your support, my friends. Thank you so much. If you'd like to make a one-time donation to the show, you can also buy me one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Another great way to help out is to check out my Patreon page, where every monthly patron of the show receives access to my ever-growing soundtrack. There are like over a hundred songs up there now, and you can have access to them for any monthly donation amount. You can find out more info at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And of course, I have t-shirts and hoodies for On a Dark Cold Night available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night if you're looking for something comfy to hang out in this winter. I would also like to thank some folks who left me some lovely reviews this week. My thanks to iTunes listener Chihuahua from Great Britain, and big thanks as well to iTunes listeners in the U.S., Holly Hermit and Rennie A. Thank you all so much for supporting the show by spreading such lovely, positive feedback. If you'd like to do the same, I'd love it if you left a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, my Facebook page, or anywhere else you're able. And you can also follow me in the show on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and uh, you can find me on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for being here with me this week and spending a little bit of your holiday with me. However you're celebrating this year, I hope you're doing it safely and that your holiday is filled with love and peace and good rest as we head towards a new year. Be well, my friends. Thank you so much for listening, and happy holidays. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.